Uh, we are currently going through a series uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've got your scriptures, we would encourage you to turn it uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's where we will be. Now, we've been giving out these little study guides, so you may want to just take your notes there. And if for some reason you don't have your scripture, then know that it is printed in your worship guide, so we want you to have everything available. Uh, parents, can I get your attention just for a second? Um, I want you to go ahead and read through uh, chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians. Just know that things are about to get a little dicey in 1 Corinthians, all right? Um, and it may or may not be um, age appropriate. We're going to use words that are grown-up words, and we're going to talk about grown-up things. So I would encourage you as a parent to go ahead and read those chapters, look at your kids, and say, hey, um, on Sundays, we are going to hear things that you may have never heard before, or I just want to be the first one to tell you that there are these things in the Bible that can... Uh, oftentimes are outside of bounds. And if for some reason you have kids that um, you don't want to sit under that kind of teaching about these types of topics, you may want to check them um, uh, in, in the back. So just as a warning, go ahead and read uh, chapters uh, 5 and 6 and know that you, it will be very clear exactly what's going on. And now everybody, I have nobody's attention because everybody's turning like... I didn't know that there was something that dicey coming up. Oh, there is. Oh, there is. Okay, so 1 Corinthians, we are in chapter 2 today. There's dicey things, but nothing that would be inappropriate or make parents squirm. <clears throat> All right, so I became a Christian uh, at the age of 19. I was in college. And up to that point, uh, let me just say that um, the Christians in my life or the Christians that I knew were not necessarily um, the most agile of people and could tend to be a little awkward or even a little bit so social outcast. And so my view of Christians in college was probably more negative than positive. That's on me. That's not on them. Um, it may have been with the way that they acted with one another or the way that they conducted their lives, which was probably judgment on the way that I lived. But it was also on the, the things that they believed, the, the, the belief system in their life, the way that they conducted their lives, but the way that they cognitively looked at the world and the way that they looked at God that I just couldn't get on board with. Take, for instance, the very first uh, story in the Bible where you have uh, God creating out of nothing. That was something that he created man out of dust and a woman out of a rib. It's just things that we don't really think about and think logically. That makes a whole lot of sense. To make the story even stranger or weirder is the fact that there is now a talking snake that slithers up to our, our man and woman and whispers secrets into his ears that they were going to believe. And upon listening to this talking snake, the entire world is demolished. These are just weird stories for us to believe. Not the fact that there was a burning bush one time that actually in compass the presence of God, and this bush that is now on fire is now talking to the character Moses, and Moses is talking back like this is normal or logical. These stories throughout the scriptures are strange to us and can be a little bit off-putting, like the little boy that walked in to Jesus with his lunch pail, and he says, I just have a little bit of a lunch, and yet this little lunch is able to feed 20,000 people in one 
one sitting. These are stories that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable because they're crazy. They don't make any sense. And yet, as believers, or as people who follow Jesus, we read these stories and we nod and we're like, yeah, that's what really happened. And so when I came to know Jesus, a terror literally filled my heart. I have to believe these things, I said to myself. But there's a more terrifying thing that actually came after that. I actually have to tell other people that I believe this stuff. And so over and over in my heart, in my mind, I would literally get nervous about this new understanding or this new worldview that I now accepted as my own. I even had a fraternity brother walk up to me one day, that second semester, and say, what happened to you? I mean, these are the types of conversations that happen over and over. We believe some strange things, and oftentimes you and I are tempted, in the same way that I was tempted at 19, you and I are tempted to kind of knock off the sharp edges or buff out some of the harder things about what we believe, don't we? Because there are some embarrassing things, whether it be doctrinally or even socially, that where we stand or what we believe in is just not in jive with our current culture. And so we oftentimes take sandpaper to some of these sharp edges and we say to ourselves, maybe or maybe I can just keep that one to myself. The church in Corinth was very similar to that where they are new believers. They have come to know Jesus and now there is new doctrines and a new lifestyle that they have to accept for their own. And they are having to start articulating these beliefs into a very secular culture and they're just a little afraid and they really don't want to do this anymore. They've embraced Jesus and yet they don't really want to embrace some of the things that come with it. So the question is, as a follower of Jesus, If you claim to be following Jesus this morning, how in the world are we supposed to respond to this situation or that situation or this doctrine currently as a believer in Jesus? Because we're now about to be, we're about to be parachuted inside of a culture that will oppose us at every single direction. So how are you now supposed to respond, not naturally, Not conveniently, but now as a Christian, how are we supposed to walk into that? And so there was a growing tension in my heart at 19. How am I going to respond to these guys and these gals who are now asking what happened to you? There was a tension in in my heart. There's also a tension in the book of Corinth where they are now wrestling with how am I supposed to respond with this new set of beliefs? And maybe you here this morning, you're now in attention, like you're having a hard time standing up for Jesus. You're having a hard time not bowing to the pressures of society. And over and over and over, that worldview actually makes a better impact on your life than others. Simply put, what is, and here's a question for us, what is the worldview that we are the most comfortable with? Or what set of uh, principles guides us? So this is the main question for us because we're going to see it in our passage is what set of wisdom principles actually guide you or guide us? Because something is going to guide us. 
Like, what are the things that are going to just differentiate how I'm going to navigate this world? You see that you only have two options. You have worldly wisdom and you have godly wisdom. This is what Paul is trying to say. There is no third option. There is only the way of the world, the way of godlessness, and then the way of God, and the way that in the path that he has created for us. And in this dividing line, our heart wrestles, and there's a great tension of which way are we going to do this? What path are we going to go alongside? So some worldly wisdom. Here's some just real world scenarios. Is that I believe that I am the center of the universe, right? And so I will manipulate conversations or manipulate relationships so that everything orbits around me. That type of wisdom is a wisdom, a worldly wisdom. Or the fact that maybe you really want this shiny new thing and yet you really can't afford it. And yet you go on even though you're in debt up to your eyeballs and you continue to purchase the thing and you become over leveraged in ways that you can't. This is a worldly wisdom. I could go on and on and on with scenarios in which you and I are looking at a pathway to move forward, whether it be in our finances or in our marriage or whether it be business principles, whether it be uh, physicians and what they're able to do with us. And we're looking and we're seeking a pathway. And the pathway that we naturally lean toward often is of worldly persuasion. This wisdom of this world, in our world, is intoxicating because it looks so great and it looks so natural and it is so comfortable for you and I to understand. The latest diet trends are more appealing to us than godliness. And so we spend all of our time and our attention on how we look, our physique, which will have very little impact on our eternal dwelling. We will spend all of our time and our energy reading books and principles about how to do business and doing business properly or how to make a profit. And before we know it, we would spend up to 10, 20, 30 hours of our our week looking at how we are going to structure our life in order to get ahead. And yet we know, because we've studied Ecclesiastes, that those things oftentimes just fade away like a vapor, like a dust, like dust. There is a real tension in our life. Which set of wisdom principles are going to guide you and what types of, or what sets of principles should be guiding us? And so at 19, I was very frail. I was a Christian. I was, a, I was walking with Jesus, but I was very, very frail. But there was a distinct place of rescue for my life that came out of nowhere. I didn't pray for it. I didn't ask for it. I literally stumbled upon this place of refuge, a rescue for my life. And it happened from eight o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock every morning, um, every single day. And there sat a, a group of guys. There were five or six of us. We were at summer camp. And there across the table was Terry Mahan and Cliff Jimson with their Bibles open. And so every morning from eight to nine, these five or six guys would come and we would sit across the table from these two old guys with their Bibles open. And that's where they started to make an impact in my life. And so the moment of rescue for me, the moment where my eyes were open, where I started small little baby steps one after another of walking away 
from a worldly worldview and walking toward what God would have for me actually happened there at that little table with Bibles open and older men pointing to me. So we just sit there and they were like, okay, so we're going to study sin and we'd study sin. We're going to talk about creation. So we'd flip to creation. We would open, uh, open up passages that taught, and just over and over and over, these things would just start to open my eyes because God's word and God's way was becoming real to me for the first time. I still remember the one time we, we showed up and they're like, okay, so we're going to throw you a little bit of a, a curveball today. It's, it's a, a, probably a book that none of you have ever read. So I want you to turn to Hezekiah 1, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, all right? And so then there's a bunch of 18 or 19-year-olds turning in their Bibles looking for Hezekiah. And we're looking at each other and we're looking right and left and nobody had it. So then we turned the index and said there is no Hezekiah in the Bible. So he was having a little fun, but we had our Bibles, we had them open, and we were just digging into God's Word. So here was the recipe for my rescue. And this recipe is actually found in our passage today, is the fact that you have at our disposal, through the revelation of God, we have access to the Bible. And the Bible will show us a pathway and show us a worldview and show us a wisdom that we cannot conceive on our own. But then, sitting across the table is there are men and women in our lives who are willing to sit there and just say, hey, let me help you out. There are disciple makers in our lives that will actually sit across the table with their Bibles open and say, help, let me help you or let me show you how to do this. And so which one of these wisdom principles helps shape our decisions or our relationships or how we view entertainment? How are we going to go? Which way are we going to go? That's the conversation for today. So let's go ahead and open up our scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6, and I'm going to read the full context, and then we will um, uh, divvy it up and, and divide it up. So this is God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 and following. Yet among the mature, I do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And so right up front, we see that there's a wisdom of this world that's doomed to pass away. But we impart, this is the second time that Paul is using the word impart here. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, all right, in verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things 
freely given to us by God. This is the third time we hear this. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Let me read that one more time, verse 13, because that's kind of the, the hinge of this message. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is in himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we men and women of faith, but we have the mind of Christ. So here we are at the very first part of of, uh, the passage here. We have verses three through six. We see this wisdom of God is actually in competition with the wisdom of the world. And we see a dichotomy. We actually see it parsed out right in front of us in verses six through nine. The very first thing that we see is that worldly wisdom leads to destruction, Last week, we saw that this worldly wisdom that was uh, earlier in chapter one leads you to perish. Now we see that it's actually going to um, lead you to your demise. It actually uses the word doom there. There is a strong warning to you and me this morning that if our eyes venture too far off and we get too close and cuddly with the ways of this world, we will actually be leading ourselves to destruction. I know that that is not a nice or a trendy way to start a Bible passage, but this is what Paul is doing. He's bringing to us brothers and sisters, people who are in Christ, and he's bringing us another warning, another place of correction to us. Be careful Because this wisdom of this age, of the rulers of this age, will actually lead you to destruction. I thought that Paul last week was telling us, don't listen to the wisdom of, uh, don't listen to wisdom at all. Because there's scribes and there's debaters and there's philosophers all throughout the world that is trying to distract you. Is Paul being bipolar here by telling us that there is a wisdom that we need to understand? He's not being bipolar because what he's doing, he's saying there's two sets of wisdom. There's a wisdom of this age and there's a wisdom of God and you better be able to differentiate between the two. What I am giving away, Paul says, is not of this world. What I am giving away is actually coming from some other place. And so that's why in verse six, we actually see not only that it's a place of destruction, but that godly wisdom is actually otherworldly. It comes from another place. It comes from another source. It has another, a, a separate taproot or a, a stream that builds into a river. This thing is otherworldly. It does not rest in the hearts or the mind or anything else of mankind, but instead it is coming from God alone. Now this speaks to the Corinthians and it speaks to us because we are very tangible people. The people in Corinth were able to touch and to feel and be able to align themselves with real leaders who taught real things about the real world. Remember the wise people and the scribes? They were able to come with real answers to real life problems. And so who wouldn't want to follow their lead or to understand this worldview? 
But what Paul is saying in verse six is that there's actually a wisdom that, does, that resides outside of time and space altogether because this godly wisdom is otherworldly. And so where is this wisdom's birthplace? Where exactly is the origin of Paul's wisdom that's different from this world's? Well, of course, it's God's wisdom. We see here in verse 6, it says, Among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But what we impart, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Its source is God, and where you find it is chronology. If you look at it chronologically, sorry, I needed one more syllable there. Chronologically, it's actually before all of time began. So where is its source? God. And where does it fit? Outside of time. Real world problems, right, are often solved by real world solutions, and they just butt together, and they come together nice and neat. And what Paul is saying, and what God is telling us, is that real-world problems do not need real-world solutions, as much as we need to understand that before time began, there is a source, there is an impetus, there is a, a moment of real wisdom that God has created on his own accord and generously given away to us. That should bring us to a place of worship this morning where God gets all of the credit over and over and over again. Not only is godly wisdom otherworldly, but we see this godly wisdom is a mystery, right? It's of hidden things. Not only is it otherworldly, but it's one big fat mystery that we will not be able to comprehend unless something else happens to us. It's this idea that we can't really grasp it on our own. And the grasp is so strong that, look in verse 9, it says, this mystery is so intense and so strong, it says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Not only is it a mystery, but it seems like it is unknowable to the natural man. So this universal statement is that no one has access to the things that we actually need access to. We can't even conjure up in our own imagination or eyesight or in our heart. We are not able to create a worldview or this principle of wisdom on our own. Think about the coldest, darkest, right? Most soundproof place. As eerie as that is, that is what he's trying to paint here. No eye has seen. is completely dark. No ear has heard. It is completely soundproof. No heart has been able to imagine. It's the coldest, most sterile place on planet Earth. This is where you are. And we cannot imagine what God has prepared for us. It is a complete mystery of our natural heart and our natural mind, our natural eyes and our natural ears. We cannot do it. None of us could have predicted the plan or the pathway of salvation that God had in store for us. It's simply like too big for our britches right? It's above our pay grade. None of us are able to come up with these types of things. 
And lastly, the wisdom of God simply points to Jesus. Where the wisdom of the world is pointing away from Jesus, the wisdom of God is actually pointing to Jesus. None of, this is verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Every moment and every principle of this world, even if it's just a slightly half degree off, will lead you away from visualizing the person and work of Jesus. But the godly wisdom that we want to pursue is actually that Jesus Christ and him crucified and the plan that God has prepared beforehand is actually in Jesus and Jesus alone. The wisdom principle was standing right in front of the people of this age. His name was Jesus Christ. And whether you were religious or whether you were secular, they both looked at Jesus and and with great volition and intentionality crucified him fully and completely. You may be religious like Caiaphas. You may be secular like Pilate. But with both of them, they saw Jesus as the full wisdom of God and encapsulated in Jesus Christ himself. And what did the wisdom of this world do? Secular and religious, they crucified him fully and completely. That's what we will do on our own accord. We'll dismiss Jesus every single time. We will want to dismantle his good gifts for us. Jesus is the central part of our reality. Jesus Christ is the center of all of our wisdom. There is nothing more, there's nothing less, there's nothing to add other than Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we see that the cross of Jesus Christ is the power to salvation. We saw last week in chapter 2, we see that I will preach nothing other than Christ and Christ crucified. Why is that? Because at the center of God's Revelation, the center of God's wisdom is first and foremost in Jesus Christ. And so if you have someone who is both secular or religious and they have rejected Jesus, they have rejected all wisdom principles that have been given to us in God's word. They've rejected it fully and completely. John 17 tells us that this is eternal life, that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's all about Jesus. He is at the crux. He is at the center point. Everything rotates around him and him fully. And so it is the cross that should define us. It is the cross that should define our all of our life. It should be the cross that will def- redefine our human dilemma and our solution. It is our meaning and our purpose The cross is our ultimate lens in which we look. We're going to get really dorky here for a second. We're going to give you a couple of words that you may not know. But hopefully this will resonate and this will hopefully make sense. That what Paul is trying to tell us in in this book is that you need a new vision for your life. You need a new way to look at your life and how to solve life's problems. And he gives us two Two words. One is the word Christocentric, sorry, theologian. And the other one is cruciform. 
So what is this new vision for your life? Christocentric is, of course, that you need to make sure that something is central to your life, something that is at the very center of it and defines everything. And of course, anything that that is um, central should rotate with Jesus. Cruciform is another word for the way in which Jesus died. So on one side of the line, the new vision for your life is how Jesus lived, and on the other side, it's how Jesus died. But the new vision for your life, not just Jesus's, because Jesus is a model for us. Throughout the New Testament, over and over, you will hear the word that you need to become Christ-like, or you need to uphold Christ-likeness, or you need to toss off the old and put on the new. This is what it means to have a new vision for your life, is that the things that Jesus did, you actually find a part of your new rhythm. Or the vision for your life is in the way that Jesus humbled himself is the way that you now define how you interact with others. So whether Jesus lived and the way that he died is now being marinated in the way that you live your life. And you, as the New Testament would say, die to self. Over and over and over, you hear this phrase, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repentance is simply... Lord, I am sorry for living my vision for my life and believing instead that we need a new vision which is defined clearly and plainly in the scriptures that we have as we look at Jesus' life and how he did this for us. Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. Think about that verse. I've been so crucified that I no longer live. But the life that I live, that I live in faith. I live a life of faith because the Son of God loved me and he gave himself for me. So a new vision for your life is this. Let's keep going. Godly wisdom is revealed through the Holy Spirit. We see here in the central part of this passage that God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world. There he goes again. It is not of this world. We have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Here we have God's wisdom for us is given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illumines the word of God in verse 10, 11. He's just, this is a light bulb. This is a flashlight. He's able just to redirect all of our attention and everything. And he's able to make everything bright that was once dark. And the way that he is able to do that is actually to plunge deep into the minds of the heart of God and come back out with the jewels of glory and beauty and, and grace where we find it in God's, God's heart. And so the Holy Spirit is able to do that. He's able to go and search out the heart of God and then bring us the revelations that God has for us. This is what the Holy Spirit is able to do. He's able to put a light on the word of God. 
all of God's revelation is found to us in the pages of the scriptures. That's why we hold the Bible. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we memorize the Bible. That's why we teach the Bible. And here we have a guide. We have someone, a counselor. We have someone to go before us and shed that light on God's word for us. We see that in verse 10 and 11. Godly wisdom is revealed through the Holy Spirit because not only does the Holy Spirit illuminate the word of God, but the Holy Spirit interprets it. Look at that in verse 12. He will help you understand. He will bring clarity. And so as we read our scriptures, because the Holy Spirit has dived deep into the heart of God, he will bring us not just illuminating it, but making it known, right? But actually interprets it to help us understand. I know that... um, what you're wearing, for instance. Like, oh, there is a green shirt. Or, oh, there's a gray shirt. I know, all right, illuminate. Oh, I know that y'all are sitting down in black chairs. But none of us, none, none of us can actually tell us what's going on inside of our minds. None of us can really tell exactly what's going on. Are you thinking? Are you daydreaming? Are you taking it? Like we just, none of us really know because the mind is separate or secret or hidden. And yet what the Holy Spirit is able to say is, I can't tell you what Miss Jane is thinking about right now, but much less tell you what's in the mind of and the heart of God himself. But think about this. The Holy Spirit has gone there to the depths of God's heart, to the depths of God's thinking. And as he's come up that chamber out of the mine with all of the beauties and the grace and the jewels of God himself, he's allowing us to hear and understand what God intends for us to understand. This is what he's done for us over and over and over. Men and women, we must worship Jesus at this moment. We need to pause and worship the King of glory. Do you believe that God created something out of nothing? If you believe in your heart of heart that God not only can do that, but that he did do that, the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life. You should worship him for bringing that to your heart. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Just plain and simple, I'm a sinner. And the sin that I do hurts other people, but more than anything else, the sin that I have in my heart, in my mind, in my body, actually ends up hurting Jesus, ends up hurting God more than anything else. The fact that you can say that you're a sinner and that sin impacts God is a proof that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, that your mind and your heart and your eyes are now seeing and getting a glimpse of something that should be hidden to you. Do you believe that it's Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who lived perfectly and died in your place so that the great exchange, that the wrath of God rests on Jesus rather than resting on you. If you believe that, if you understand that, if you get that, the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart, in your mind, in your eyes, in your ears to help you understand, to guide you along. 
And that is a place of worship because God is alive and he is real and he's not dormant and he's not distant. But instead, he wants a relationship with you and he doesn't want to leave you in the dark any longer. He wants you to know and he wants you to feel and he wants to set you on a pathway that is so God-centered and Christocentric and cruciform that all other things are a distraction to your life and you want to plant your stake right here and now today and say, that's the vision that I want for my life. That's where I want to go and that's who I want to be. If there's any spark or any inclination that that's how you want your life to be lived, that's proof that God may be at work in your life fully and completely this morning. And that's the role of the Bible. The Holy Spirit coming to us along the Bible and telling us over and over and over, sharing with us the beauties of it. Godly wisdom is also entrusted in disciple makers. Our third point is very quick. But here we have some we here. Not just Paul, but look at verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. Verse 13, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Have you ever considered yourself a part of that we? We know that Paul is the apostle of Jesus, that he spoke the very words of God. We are not in the same camp at all with him. And yet he has including other people there. And that's what we are calling it, Redstone Church Disciple Makers. Being able to impart a wisdom that shouldn't belong to you, but is belonging to you. And giving that away to others. You see, these imparters, these people who are able to impart this godly pathway, give away God's word. This wisdom that Paul and others are giving away and preachers and disciple makers and we're just, we're, what we're giving away is God's word and what we're doing is we're giving our lives away to others. From that time with those older guys opening up the word, I've slipped a, a, a little bit, but more days than not. I would say high 90s. There's not been a day, many days, that have, I've not opened up God's word and had God reveal himself to me on a daily basis. And there's not been many days since that summer where I haven't shared some truth of God into the lives of others. That's not because there's anything special to me, but there's something that was different that was implanted in my life that that is the new vision for my life over and over and over. Is that we give the word of God away, we give our lives away, and we also pray for a transplant. Look at verse 13. For who has understood the mind of God so as to instruct him? But we, another plural, we have the mind of Christ. You want a new vision for your life? Do you want it all to kind of make sense? Begin to realize that this mind of Christ, this idea of being 
Christocentric and cruciform, that there has been an implant in your mind so that you can see and hear and understand totally different from any other way. This is the last week of the month, and we take up prayer cards. And this is a time where we can get really, 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 really practical with the prayer team. Um, it's a lot of fun uh, to get these cards and to hear um, uh, your requests. And um, we have made a commitment at, as a prayer team is that whatever these prayer requests are, you know, we take these prayer requests and we just, we take you with us for the entire month. And it's been a, just a, such a delight this past month to pray for some of you and pray for some very specific things. In some of our lives, you know, this month, we've seen God do tremendous things, doing the heavy lifting for us because you offered a prayer and there have been others to come alongside you and pray with these very specific things. And so this is just what it means to, to, for a new vision of your life. You may need to write on your prayer card the role worldly wisdom plays in your everyday life. That often you get distracted by the worldly wisdom. And this distraction is actually leading to more destruction in your life than preservation. And so maybe you need to write, I'm super distracted in these ways. Will you pray for me? I'm holding up a wisdom of this age that I know will lead me to destruction and, and will bring me harm. And yet over and over and over, I continue to gravitate to it rather than gravitating to the Lord. The second is maybe you want the role of God's word to play in your life. That maybe you have been too casual, right, as a receiver or a giver of God's word in your life. And something about this passage has brought, illumined, right, your light that I need to spend more time in God's word. And then this idea that truly that you can impact other people in your life. What role does impacting others play in your day-to-day -day life? And not the impact of like, hey, I just want to be a good person or I want to encourage other people, but impact them pointing them to Jesus specifically, by sharing with them your faith journey specifically, to encourage them to live and go on a pathway to Christ-likeness. That's what it means to truly have an impact on your life. So I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to pick up that prayer card in your seat. You should have prayer cards and you should have a pen laying around Here's what I encourage you to do. Look at these three questions. Answer them all if you want to. Answer one if you think it appropriate. But we would really encourage you to, um, to spend some time having the Lord convict our hearts and to move us, to change us, to correct us this morning.